in 2 Samuel chapter 11. And so we'll read um, 1 through 5, and then we'll skip around just a little bit. So remember, we're in a series called The Whole Story, where we're trying to see the entire scope of Scripture, how it all fits together, so that that way you guys can leave this school year seeing how the whole Bible fits together as one story, okay? And so when we last left our people, David has been chosen and anointed to be king of Israel, and David led Israel through all these years of prosperity, but tonight we see that even great people can fall, and we see that it's, it's not your job to look to different people um, for salvation. You can look to different people for inspiration, but you don't need to look to others for salvation. And we do that, though. We swap those two things. We put our hope in other people besides Jesus Christ. And these people will let us down. These people will fail. These people will fall. And it will crush us if we're not careful. And we want to show you this in David. So look at 2 Samuel 11, 1 through 5. And we'll read it together, okay? Then it happened in the spring At the time when kings are supposed to go out to battle, we'll come back to that, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel to war. And they destroyed the sons of Ammon and besieged Rabbah, but David stayed at Jerusalem. So David's not where he's supposed to be. He's supposed to be at war. Anybody reading this knows off the bat, he's not where he's supposed to be. This is not a good start. Verse 2, now when evening came, David arose from his bed and walked around the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful in appearance. So David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam? Look, the wife, she's married, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. David sent messengers and took her. And when she came to him, he lay with her. And when she had purified herself from her uncleanliness, she returned to her house. The woman then conceived and sent word to David and said, I am pregnant. Down to verse 14. Go down to verse 14. Now in the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah the Hittite. And he had written the letter saying, Place Uriah at the front line of the fiercest battle. Remember, they're all at war. Place Uriah at the front line of the fiercest battle so that he may be struck down and die. 16. So it was was as Joab kept watch on the city that he put Uriah at the place where he knew there were valiant men. The men of the city went out and fought against Joab and some of the people among David's servants fell and died and Uriah the Hittite also died. Then Joab sent and reported to David all the events of the war. Now go down to verse 26 and we'll stop there. Now when the wife of Uriah, that's Bathsheba, when Bathsheba had heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. When the time of mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife. Then she bore him a son. But the thing David did was evil in the sight of the Lord. So David was God's chosen king. David was a man after God's own heart. He sees this, just going to kind of go back and spark note this for you guys. He sees a beautiful woman. He falls into the sin of lust, that that lust opened up. He leans into this sin, and it turns out that she's married. So David has helped someone commit adultery, and then she becomes pregnant. This could have cost David his kingdom, because he is God's chosen king. Adultery is not an option. Instead of facing his sin and losing his stuff, losing his title, but keeping his soul, he does the opposite. 
He loses his soul to keep his things. And let me just ask you, how often do we do that? Now, we don't have a kingdom with horses and chariots and all these other things, but you have kingdoms. You have things that you value, what people think of you. Staying safe and untouched so that you don't get in trouble with your parents. What would they think? What would they say? And you value these things so much that when there's sin and when it's time to confess that sin, you don't do that because you want to protect your kingdom. It'll look bad. It'll make people angry. So we stay quiet and we don't get in trouble, but our soul suffers. Like leaving something inside where it's burning and breaking. Nobody can see it, but inside it's chaos. This is David's soul. David has the husband killed and takes the woman to be his wife. He has this man killed so that David no longer looks guilty of adultery. And many people call my Bible, it even says, uh, David and Bathsheba, David's great sin. It's a heartbreaking story. And in this heartbreaking story, we can learn several things about ourselves, but more importantly, we can learn about Jesus. And here's the shocking thing that, that we don't really pay attention to. And we're not going to turn there, but if you're taking notes, just do me a favor here. The shocking thing about Bathsheba is that she wasn't the only one that this happened to. David has multiple wives. And we learn this in 2 Samuel 16. Again, we're not going to stay there, but it shows us. So we learn that in 2 Samuel 16, but the question is this. How can this be? How can David, and this is a question that a lot of people will ask. How can this be? How can David, God's chosen king, he killed Goliath, he did all the cool stuff. How could he, he has a heart after God's. He's a man after God's own heart. He's the one that has multiple wives. How can he do something like that? David has what is called a blind spot. Every generation has blind spots. They just do. A blind spot is, is this, and that, it sounds like, duh, but just hold with me. A blind spot is something that you can't see. And since you can't see it, you're not looking for it. Does that make sense? A blind spot is something that you can't see. And since you can't see it, you're not looking for it. A lot of young drivers in here, I don't know how to feel about that. Shout out to Connor Johnson, just got his permit, right? Nicely done, nicely done. Um, here's the issue, which you will find soon, Connor. Your car, more than likely, has what's called a blind spot, which means you have to either, like if you're changing lanes or if you're trying to park in a difficult spot, you have to look in your mirror, this mirror, that mirror, and then you've got to pull one of these. Even if you've got the camera right here, you have to, a bunch of millennials, you have to keep doing this to look to find that blind spot, right? Because if you miss it, you'll pay for it, all right? There's no cup holder in there. That's a blind spot. That's a huge, he missed that, right? Oh, not, ew, gross. Okay, so here's, here's the thing. The people on the podcast are like, what is happening? Um, so every generation has blind spots because you don't think about it. We have, but see, so there's a blind spot in your car. We have spiritual blind spots. We are not perfect, so we will miss things. You can be doing the best that you can to repent, to change your ways, and that's awesome, but there will be things that you miss if you're only looking with your eyes because that's what a blind spot is, and every generation has it. In the 40s and 50s, we saw some of the greatest heroes in American history. World War II brought about men and women who gave everything for our country. An amazing historical period in our nation. But it also 
saw some of the filthiest forms of racism and segregation that still have ripple effects today. And nobody addressed this. Have you ever heard of a group of people called the Puritans? Some of the greatest biblical thinkers in history in the 1400s, 1500s, 1600s. They, were, they wrote some of the most brilliant biblical books. But you know what they all had in common? They all owned slaves. Like how do you miss th- like that one? Like you own other people. You're a biblical scholar that owns another person. How did nobody see that? Well, but think about it. How did nobody what? How did nobody see that? It's a blind spot. And before you start thinking like, Come on, what were they thinking? This, like, slaves, this is an obvious one. Like, multiple wives, that's such an obvious one. Think about some of the movies that we watch. Think about some of the TV shows. Think about some of the likes on Instagram that you give. Some of the scenes in movies that we just accept. I run into more and more college kids especially who, who come here every Thursday and they... And they say that they love Jesus, and, I'm, and I think they do love Jesus, and I'm not trying to be legalistic, but I'm just saying, and, and we start talking about their pastimes, and they begin to mention TV shows and channels on YouTube and things that are, that are just so filthy. I don't understand how these two things can go together, but they just accept it. They don't even, they, they don't even seem to think about it. It doesn't phase them anymore. And you say, well, I hadn't really thought about that. No, you haven't. Do you know why? It's a blind spot. You've just kind of accepted, well, this is how culture is. Yes, David had multiple wives. Solomon had multiple wives. Solomon also built the temple of God. Imagine Solomon coming in to like watch TV with you. And you turn on a TV show that you love, and you're watching, and you hear some of these jokes, and you hear some of the things that the people are saying, and Solomon looks at you, and he's like, how can you watch this? Like, how can you say that you're a a son of God or a daughter of God, and yet you're, you're okay with this? You see what I'm saying? It's a blind spot. It's this, it's this way of thinking that says, well, culture's cool with it. I guess I'll be okay with it too. That's what happened in Solomon's day, in David's day. Multiple wives was part of the surrounding culture, and Israel jumped right into the boat with them. It was just part of the thing. And that doesn't make it okay these blind spots will cost you, just like it cost them. And the re- here's the reason I bring this up. Thanks for the encouragement, Ryan. The reason I bring this up is because he- this is one of the things that Christians get hit with all the time, especially in the Old Testament, is that so many Old Testament characters had multiple wives. It's called polygamy, marrying multiple people. And people who are not Christian will say, one of the reasons the Old Testament is is ridiculous or false is that it's encouraging polygamy. How can you say that you follow Jesus when Abraham had two wives? Jacob had two wives. Solomon had 700. He had more wives than I have followers on Instagram. Okay, He had so many. How can you be on board with this? Here's here's the response to that. Okay, Here's Here's what we say to this. And I know you're not going to like sit at the lunch table and like debate polygamy with your friends in the Bible, but this is something that you've got to begin to file away. This is how you begin to build your confidence in Scripture, is by plugging the holes. Does that make sense? First of all, we have to call it what it is. Don't make excuses for it. 
Don't try to, well, they weren't really married or they weren't, you know, you don't know. Like, don't, it, yes, we do. Don't try to cover it up. This was a blind spot, just like every generation has. This was a blind spot in David's generation. Multiple wives was a sinful part of that culture, and it wasn't okay, but it also wasn't addressed, sadly. Several kings in Israel and several of God's servants, even back to Genesis, had multiple wives. Abraham had Sarah and Hagar. Jacob had Leah and Rachel. God says he's the God of who? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These guys are on God's business card, like they're the guys. And they had multiple wives. Solomon had 700, but here, here we go. It also says that these multiple women carried Solomon's heart away from God. Listen to 1 Kings 11.4. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord as, his heart, as the heart of David had been. How heartbreaking. Um, younger high school girls, you guys are going to start a series in small groups called Mingling of Souls which is basically just a walk through, yeah, the older high school girls are like, amen, walking through the, the Song of Solomon. Trivia question, let's do Tartar. Who do you think wrote the Song of Solomon? Not a trick. Nicely done, my theologian. Solomon wrote the Song of Solomon. The biblical basis for courtship and marriage was written by a guy who had 700 wives, whose, whose wives carried him away from the Lord. How heartbreaking is it that the same man who wrote Song of Solomon, which is such a beautiful picture of courtship, was then carried away by polygamy. David had multiple children with multiple women, and one of them was his son Absalom, one of Bathsheba's sons, who kills his brother Amnon, who's the son of another woman David was with, because Amnon attacked his sister. Then Absalom goes crazy and tries to kill David and take over his kingdom. Jacob had multiple wives from, with many children, and one of them was Joseph. Joseph's brothers tried to kill him, and then when they did, decided not to do that, they sell him into slavery. Here's what I'm getting at. I use this example in our college small group, and I, and I think it makes sense. If I'm trying to sell you a vacuum, just go with it. If I'm trying to sell you a vacuum, I'm going to try to talk to you about its power, its affordability, how compact it is, all the good things about it, right? If I'm trying to encourage you to buy this vacuum, if I'm trying to make you buy this, if I want to sell this to you, I'm going to tell you all the good things about it. I'm not going to tell you that it doesn't collect dust very well. You have to change the bag really often. I'm not going to list the negative things if I'm trying to sell you something. Look at what the Bible is really saying about polygamy. Everyone who does it is miserable and their children are insane. The Bible is saying, yes, polygamy happened. But the Bible is also saying, look at how horrible it is because look at the results of it. Is the Bible really trying to sell polygamy if all it does is list the negative outcomes of it? If you're trying to sell polygamy, wouldn't you sell how awesome the family is, how well they all get along? He literally tried to sell him as a slave. The Bible isn't encouraging polygamy. If anything, it's saying, you shouldn't do this. Look at what happens. Blind spots cost us. Blind spots are deadly. Which leads us to point number two. Number two is this. So point number one was blind spots. Keep in mind your blind spots. Keep in mind the blind spots of these people in the Old Testament. Number two is this. Be thankful 
for friends like Nathan. Turn to 2 Samuel chapter 12. 2 Samuel chapter 12, and we'll read verses 1 through 7. So this is right after what's happened with David and Bathsheba. 2 Samuel 12, 1 through 7. Then the Lord said, sent Nathan the prophet to David. So Samuel has died. Nathan has risen up to take his place. So the Lord sent Nathan to David. And he came to him and said, There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a great many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little lamb, which he bought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and his children. It would eat of his bread and drink of his cup and lie with him. And, and it was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take from his own flock or herd to prepare for the man who had come. Rather, he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for a man who had come to him. David's anger burned greatly against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done something like this deserves to die, and he must make restitution for the lamb fourfold that he took from the other. Verse 7, Nathan said to David, You are that man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. So time passes, and David's blind spot has consumed him. There is no remorse for what he's done. There's no shame for what he's done. There's nothing. And listen, don't think the Bible is outdated because this happens to us all the time. We just accept our sin. We make peace with it. Well, I guess this is just part of my life now. I guess this language, I guess this habit, I guess this thing I watch online, I guess this is just part of my life now. I guess this insecurity is just part of my life now. Look at verse 7. Nathan said to David, you are, you are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, it's I who anoint, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul when he was pursuing you. What's Nathan doing? He's reminding David of God's past faithfulness to him. Why would he have to remind David of God's past faithfulness? Lydia, if I have to remind you of something, it's because you've what? You've forgotten it, she said thunderously. Nicely done. You've forgotten. You see, follow this, follow this. David committed a sin that had nothing to do with forgetting about God. He committed a sin that had to do with lust. And yet, Samuel has to remind him of God's faithfulness. This sin that David has committed has blinded David from God's faithfulness. Our blind spots can grow and blind us from other things. Your blind spot is not like a blindfold. Your blind spot is like a tumor that grows Sin doesn't just make you bad. It creates blindness to God's mercy. When you're out in the cold, you're not just cold. It affects you. Your body gets numb. We went to Passion, uh, like I said, for the last three days. And the first night, we were supposed to get in at 6 o'clock. It was 15 degrees outside. 15 degrees outside. We were out there from 6 to 6.55. And we had people like in boot socks and their toes were literally going numb. There were girls behind me freaking out because they, they needed to get inside. But you see, this is what happens to you. Sin is like being in the cold. It's not just, oh, you're in the cold. 
The cold has an effect on your body. Sin has an effect on your soul. It numbs you. You see that? You're not just cold with sin. It makes you numb. It blocks these good things from getting to you. This is why David has to be reminded of God's faithfulness because he's been blinded by his own sin. You've grown numb to God's mercy. And the thing about blind spots is you can't see them. You need another pair of eyes. Someone's eyes who are not your own to come in and speak to you on this. Now, and here's the thing, and we say this all the time. If I call you out on a sin that you've committed, I know your first response to me is not going to be, wow, Ryan, thank you so much for pointing this out. Let's high five and go get Waffle House together and talk about my sin some more, please. This is not going to be your immediate response. But follow this. This is how lost we are. This is how blind we have become. This is how much we need a merciful God. We are so lost and sinful that we can't stand when someone tries to help us. Stop judging me. Love that one. Calm down. It's not a big deal. Get out of my business. And that's the thing. It's not just your business anymore. Listen to 1 Corinthians 6.19. Paul is speaking to Christians. Listen to this. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? Here it is. You are not your own. You are not your own. When that friend comes to you, or when you go to that friend to help them, like Nathan did to David, to encourage them, to call them out, to help them see their blind spot, and they reply, get out of my business. Remember 1 Corinthians 6.19. You are not your own. Get out of my business. Listen to me. According to the Bible, according to 1 Corinthians 1.6, it's not just your business anymore. Get out of my business is not a statement that Christians can make. It's like an Israelite in the Old Testament saying they wanted to start their own country. It doesn't make sense. You are a member of the body of the nation of Israel. And now New Testament, you are a member of the body of Christ. And in a body, what happens to one part affects all the other parts. Listen to 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now you are the body of Christ. And each one of you is a part of it. If you, just imagine, if you cut your finger off, you don't like fondly look back on that and think, well, at least my foot was in such peace. I'm really glad that that didn't hurt as well. No, it would probably feel like your whole body was on fire. It would be terrible. And as a member of Christ's body, your job is to look out for each other because when you help your friend, or your, when you, help your friend you are helping yourself, your friend, and everyone else that your friend will come into contact with. The blade is about to fall on the right hand and cut off the finger, but the eye sees it, the brain moves, and the left arm flips off the switch to turn the blade off before it gets to the hand. When one member of the body is in danger, the whole body moves because when one member is at stake, the whole body is at stake. It's not your business. It's our business. 
This is where church is different than a corporation. Ryan, get out of my business. No. Because it's not your business. What you do affects Laura. What Laura does affects you. What I do affects you. It's not just your business anymore. You need members of the body to help each other. 1 Corinthians 6, 1 Corinthians 12. Be thankful for friends like Nathan who will get up in your business and just go there. And if you don't have friends like that, two things. Be one and pray for one. Get in someone else's business. And don't be a GPS like, bing, wrong way, bing, wrong way, wrong. I know, I got it, thank you. Don't be like that. Help them. Remember we talked about this. Help them, don't just correct them. There's a difference. Point number three, we learn from David and Bathsheba. And this is an obvious one, but man, is it important. Look right at me, and then you can tune back out. Ladies and fellas, lust is so dangerous. Lust is so dangerous. And we'll talk through some of that in high, with the high school in February when we get to the big issue. Middle school, we have another plan for you guys, and it's going to be awesome. But high school specifically, we will address this. Two things we learned from David's sinful mistake on how to deal with lust. Number one, David was not where God was. David was not where God was. Look at 2 Samuel 11, verse 1. 2 Samuel 11, 1. Then it happened in the spring, at the time when the kings, it specifically says kings, come on David, when the kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel. But David stayed in Jerusalem War came in seasons. You go to war in ancient Israel when the harvest comes because soldiers need food. You don't go to war in the wintertime. Any movie that you see where people are fighting in the snow, just be like, it's inaccurate, because it is. It's ridiculous. There is no food. There is no supply for those soldiers. You go to war with the season. The season had come. Harvest had come. It's time for David to go to war. And he stays. David should have gone. He was supposed to go, but he stayed behind. David wasn't where God wanted him. Let me tell it to you this way. Fellas especially, but ladies, it's growing with you. And I think the reason it's growing with you is because the church doesn't address ladies with lust. You guys are human too. If your phone is causing you to stumble on the internet, you are not in the place that God wants you to be. And if you'll find me, I'll pray with you. And we will talk through steps to get you out of that situation. I guarantee you that if Nathan had known what David was going to do when he stayed at home, he would have done whatever it took to get David out of that situation, and we will do the same. We'll get you out of that situation. It's not going to be, it's not going to be fun, but surgery to save someone's life would not be described as fun. And that's what we're doing when we try to get you out of that situation. You may not be at home when everybody goes to war, but in your room at night with the door closed at 1030, and it's just you and your phone and the Instagram search tab, that may not be where God wants you to be. If you hang out with somebody one-on-one in a secluded place, I wish we could go to Song of Solomon right now and and show you how he and his wife, he and his fiancé hung out outside, not inside. His fiancé, his wife, they could do what they wanted, but another talk for another time. That's not where God wants you to be because you know what's going to happen there. Don't fall into David's mistake. Don't follow David's sin. Get out of there. David's second mistake to learn from, and this is huge. 
He didn't say no. He didn't say no. James 4, 7. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Let me talk to all of you, especially the older ones, but younger ones too. You can go to passion all you want. You can go to church all you want. You can sing oceans all you want. But if you don't fight your sin, it will short circuit. It will cut off everything else that you're trying to do. You'll have spent your whole life singing and mission trip going and church attending and it will all be worthless. Not only that, but if you do all those things and you don't say no to your sin as well, you'll stop doing those things. You'll stop going to church, you'll stop going on mission trips, you'll stop listening to those songs. Because the cancer of sin has grown as a spiritual tumor around your heart this whole time. And it's cut you off from everything. That blindness has grown. And these songs don't mean what they used to mean anymore. Church isn't as powerful as it used to be. Ryan's always been lame, but now he's boring too. This is where it happens. You'll stop these things if you don't fight your sin as well. Christians love posting on Instagram, and that's fine. Christians like to dress trendy. I'm okay with that too. Christians love slow music and big conferences, and those things are awesome, but Christians don't fight their sin anymore. We make peace with it. We kick anybody out who addresses our blind spots. You've got to resist. You've got to get out of that situation. You've got to say no. You've got to plant your feet. When you get home tonight and it's just you, you've got to plant your feet. You've got to call your friend. You've got to get on your knees. And I just hope that the Holy Spirit will show you these things. Which leads to the last point. David points to the real king. David points to the real king. The real main character in the whole story. Follow this. This is ironic because of what I'm about to say. Listen, David is not an example for you to follow. And we preach that and we teach that. Be like David, be like Moses, be like Ruth. David is not an example for you to follow. Be like David. Okay, have your son try to kill you. Cheat with another man's wife and then kill him too. Be like David. That's what that would mean if you really were to follow it all the way through. David is, an example, is not an example to follow. He's an example of fallenness. He's an example of our fallenness. He know, follow this and tell me if this sounds familiar. He knows that what he did was wrong, but he couldn't stop. He couldn't help himself. Boy, that really is an example of us now. David's not the king for you. He can't help you with lust. Lust defeated David. If you lean on David as your example, it'll crush you. Jesus is the true king that David is pointing to. Listen, remember Jesus with the woman in the well. The woman, <laughs> that's be a different story. The woman at the well. Prepositions are huge, guys. The woman at little grammar. That one's for free. She was with five husbands, right? And she's with this sixth guy. Look, she has given into lust, and she has also been taken advantage of by lust. But listen to John 4, 25 and 26. The woman said to Christ, I know that the Messiah is coming, and when, when he comes, he will declare all things to us. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Verse 28, So the woman left her water bucket, and she went into the city, and she said to the men, Come, 
See a man who told me all the things that I have done. Is this the Christ? David looked at a woman full of lust and he failed. Jesus looked at a woman who was consumed by lust. And instead of taking advantage of her, he said, When you learn who I am, it'll change everything. And it did. Think of Jesus and the woman caught in adultery. Adultery destroys homes. Adultery is what happens when lust overshadows everything that is really important. Adultery is the throne that lust sits on. Listen to John 8, 9-11. When they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman caught in adultery, where she was in the center of the court. Straightening up, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? And she said, No, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go and sin no more. Jesus says two things. Go, meaning you are physically free. You were dead. They were going to kill you. Condemned to die for your sin. Your body would be destroyed, but now you're free. And then he says... Sin no more. He's saying, your body isn't the only thing that's free now. You have the power to say no to this. Because I've set more than just your body free. There will still be challenge. But now that challenge is winnable thanks to me. And some of you have been fighting anger or insecurity or anxiety or lust for so long. Look. You don't need another method. You don't need five ways to follow David. David can't do anything. You don't need any more strategies. You need to hear. You need to hear Jesus. You need to hear Him say the sweetest words to you. Go and sin no more. It's not a method. It's not a you pulling yourself up. It's, you need to hear him say this. Lust surrounds these people. When David meets lust, he fails. When, the woman, when these women and men meet lust, it takes them over. When you meet lust, it, you fail and you try harder and then you fail again. Jesus is the only one who meets lust with grace and changes it. You cannot stop lust through method. Christ frees you from it. Christ is the key. This is why this is different than anywhere else because I'm not going to give you tools to go use. I'm showing you the one who can fix it. Christ can fix it. Christ, if you hear his voice, and here's why, and then we'll be done. Because on the cross, all the evil you would ever, follow me here, on the cross, all the evil you would ever commit was put on Jesus, including your lust. On the cross, the perfect Son of God became lust. He became this thing that God despises. God hated Jesus on the cross. This is why it's such a scandal. God despised Jesus on the cross. He became the thing that God despised so that when you lust, 
When you do the very thing that God despises, He won't despise you. Because of the, all the despise that God should have for you, He already put on His Son instead. And now the God who can't even look at sin without burning in anger can come to sinful, lustful you to help. Because all His hatred and all His judgment for you and your lust was poured on Jesus. Now you are His child. David can't do those things. But Jesus did. Let's pray.